whenever he was stepping down as being the national leader in Israel. And uh, he, Samuel was uh, really, in a lot of ways, an important Bible figure. Because you see, Samuel was the last judge and he was the first prophet. And Samuel, as he steps down and the people have asked for a king, and Samuel begins to go about on this discourse about how he's never defrauded them, how that they've asked for this, how that God's giving them a king, and if they'll follow him, then God will bless them, and if they won't, and if he won't, then God won't bless them. And this isn't the message, but I, I just feel like it needs to be said. But Samuel looks at the people and he says, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. You know, I think sometimes we think of praying for someone as a good thing we do for him, but we rarely think of neglecting to pray for someone as a sin that God would deal with us about. But do you realize you've got someone praying for you? That's what the Bible teaches. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he ever liveth to make intercession for you. You've got someone praying for you. And chances are around this place, you've got several people praying for you. And I believe we all ought to make it a point to pray for those around us. And prayer, listen, prayer is not just a spiritual activity. Prayer is the essence of our spiritual walk. Prayer is not just an optional thing that we do. Prayer is a necessity if we're going to live. Prayer is not just, you know what I've heard said before, and I believe this is true, and I'll preach here in a second, but you be patient with me. People say, well, prayer is preparation for the battlefield. No, prayer is not preparation for the battlefield. Prayer is the battlefield. Prayer is not getting ready for the battle. Prayer is the battle. We cannot overestimate the importance of prayer in the life of the believer. And, you know, prayer is the ultimate act of humility. It's the confession of our inability, the declaration of our insufficiency, and it's the pronouncement of our great need of God when we pray. That's why the devil hates prayer so much. That's why he won't stop us from praying. Because when we pray, we're declaring that the devil has no victory in our life. When we're praying, we're declaring that victory comes only through Christ Jesus. When we're praying, we're declaring that our flesh is insufficient. When we're praying, we're declaring that our will is wrong. When we're praying, we're declaring that God's way is the only way. When we're praying, we're declaring that God's able. When we're praying, we're declaring that God's listening. When we're praying, we're declaring that God loves. When we're praying, we're declaring that God's concerned with us. And that's why the devil won't stop us from praying. He don't like what it says. Amen? I believe we ought to be praying for those around us. Well, that's free. Turn with me to the book of Mark chapter number 5 this morning. I thought about just going ahead and walking down that road, but I believe this is the message God has for us. Mark chapter number 5 this morning. And I'd like to begin reading at verse number 1. Now, some of you said immediately when I said Mark chapter 5, you said, well, he's going to preach on the maniac of Gadara. And we're going to talk about him a little bit this morning. But it's not the maniac of Gadara that I want to focus on this morning, and you'll see what I mean here in a moment. Beginning in verse number 1 of the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 5, the Bible says, And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones." 
But when he saw Jesus afar off, all things changed then. He ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Christ said unto the man, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there uh, there were nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. Forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about two thousand and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And they saw it, they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil, and also concerning the swine. They began to pray him to depart out of their coast. When he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this day and time. Thank you for this sweet church and the blessing they are to their pastor. Lord, help me this morning as I minister to them. God, I pray that you would, through your Holy Spirit, make real the truths of your word to your people. Lord, if there's one amongst us that's lost and undone without Calvary, oh God, I pray that you'd show them their need. Make it real to them. Make it known to them. Lord, lift that veil and show them their need of Christ. I pray they'd be saved before it's everlasting too late. God, that you'd speak particularly and powerfully to each of us that which is most needful in our lives. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Calvary. We thank you, Lord, not only for being crucified, but for being resurrected and for coming again. Help us to live in a way that glorify you, Lord. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to notice verses 16 and 17 once more with me. The Bible says, And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil, and also concerning the swine. Now, I'm going to read verse 17 with a little different emphasis than I did a moment ago. Notice it says, And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. Now, isn't it interesting what takes place in this passage? Most of you are familiar with this story. You've read it many, many times. How that Christ came across the the treacherous waters. How that He calmed a raging storm. How that this man uh, that was possessed of a demon or of devils, as the Bible calls them, uh, how that he had been living in the tombs, had been cutting himself, had been screaming and crying. How that no man could tame him. No man uh, could calm him. No man could uh, create in him a new creature. And how that Christ comes to the seashore You know, by the way, I kind of think we've gotten this thing backwards sometimes. I think if we read our Bible carefully and correctly, uh, we see that it says in verse number 7, it says, And cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Notice this. For 
He said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. You know, I think sometimes we kind of picture this as Jesus hits the shore and the man comes running and falls at his uh, feet and uh, begins to worship him. But when the Bible says for, what it's saying is the reason that he said, what, hast thou to, what have I to do with thee, thou son of the Most High God, I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. The reason that he said that was because Jesus said, come out of him, thou unclean spirit. You say, what's the difference? The difference is who reached out to who first. That's the difference. The difference is when Christ hits the shore, He sees a man in need, and before that man ever takes a step towards Him, Christ looks at that demon and that devil and says, Come out of that man. And He comes and falls at His feet to worship Him. And He says, "Uh, What have I to do with thee, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. We know how that Christ worked in this man's life. We know what Christ did, and we're going to talk about it in a moment. But we find that after these devils come out of him, that there's a group of men that are keeping swine, pigs. And the devils ask him, say, well, don't send us away out of the country. We still want to do something in this country. Leave us here. And they said, just send us to the pigs. And by the way, you know, that's what our young people are saying when they want to live and act like the world. They're saying, just send us to the pigs. Don't kick us out of the house. Don't break our plate. Don't send us out. Don't let us wind up in the uh, where the prodigal son did. Just, just let us live with the pigs. And so uh, the Lord sends these devils into the pigs. And they run down the hillside into the sea. And there was about 2,000 of them they choked to death. Now, some of you are sitting here going, boy, that's a sensational story. I wonder why God put that in there. I would propose to you today that Mark chapter 5, is a lot more about the place of the gatherings than it is about the maniac of Gadara. You see, God wanted to do a work in this place called Gadara. God wanted to do a work amongst these people. It's often been noted that Christ came across uh, the stormy waters, uh, healed this man, saved this man, turned right back around, and went back across the waters. And that's true. That's what the Bible teaches. But could I propose to you that that didn't have to be how it was? It did not have to happen that way. God had a desire to do in Gadara what He had done in other places. But there's a choice that is proposed to these people. The Bible says that the men that had kept the swine, they went running back to the town. And they began to tell them what had happened. And now notice again in verse number 16, they go back and they tell the townsfolk about two things that have happened. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil, and also concerning the swine. So the two things that the men tell the townsfolk about this is God has worked in the life of our maniac, but He's also destroyed a herd of our pigs. They're faced with the decision now. Do you know that every time Christ came face to face with someone, He brought them to a decision one way or another about Himself? Do you know that's what the gospel does? I've heard people say, well, I just ain't going to make a decision today. No, you're going to make a decision today. If you're lost and undone without Christ and someone gives you the gospel, you will make a decision. You may not decide to get saved, but when you walk away, you're deciding to stay lost. We all make a decision when we're faced with Christ. But you know that's not just true about the unbeliever, but the believer as well. Do you know that today you're hearing the Word of God preach to you? You've heard songs sung about it. You've heard people pray. You've been faced with the spiritual things of God. Now you have a decision that you have to make. 
God's going to speak to your heart and show you things in your life as He shows me things in my life as well. And He is going to show us things that need to be corrected, surrendered, forsaken, given over. We have a choice that we have to make. We're faced with an option. We either obey God or we don't. These people were faced with an option. Listen now, do we want the swine or do we want the Savior? Are, are we going to invite him in to do more house cleaning? Or are we going to kick him out? Because he's gotten near our cash flock, our cash group, our cash fund, our cash insults. We're all faced with these decisions. And I, you know, I hate to tell you, but the Bible says in verse 17, and they prayed him to depart out of their coast. I want to preach to you for a few minutes today on this thought, they prayed him to depart out of their coves. Do you know, it's sad to say, but you know, God has a desire to work in our lives, but most of us just won't let Him. God has a desire. Listen, I, I hear all the time, I tell you one good thing about Facebook, and there's a lot of bad things about it, and we can all sit around and graph about it all day if we want to. But there's a lot of bad things about it. But let me tell you one good thing. If you're connected with the right people, you know, some of us that complain about all the bad on Facebook, it's just the group that we've got in with. Amen? It's just the people that we've connected with. You see, we just get upset about that. But if you connect with the right people, listen now, if you connect with the right people, you hear a lot of good things on Facebook. I hear all the time about people getting saved. I hear all the time about God working, about God moving. I was hearing about a revival the other day in Murphy, North Carolina, a little church about the size of ours. Uh, ours. They had revival, moved into its second week. They thought, saw 37 saved. We have a powerful God. God's able today. I mean, we have a God that can move and a God that can work. And do you know in your life, some of you are sitting there thinking, oh, preacher, I couldn't have victory in my life. Sure you could. You've got the same Savior that I've got that many others have. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, listen, you've got a victor as a Savior. It's one thing to have a Savior. It's another to have a Savior uh, that's also a conqueror and a victor. The Bible says we're more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Some of you are sitting there thinking, well, no, I could never have that victorious life. I could never, listen, I could never have a prayer life. I could never have a devotional life. I could never win people to the Lord. I could never be faithful to church. I could never do those things. Sure you could. You just have a choice you've got to make. Do you want the swine or do you want the Savior? I want you to notice a few things this morning. I don't know how this will go, amen, but I reckon we'll see. I want you to notice first off in this passage the spiritual power that was displayed. Now, stop and think about what these men had witnessed and heard on this day. I mean, you can imagine, if you will, let's say you're that person in the town. And you're sitting there. I don't know what they did back in that day. Maybe they were farming. Maybe they were sitting around working at their trade. Maybe they are sitting around playing checkers. I don't know if checkers are that old. But however, uh, whatever they were doing, they're sitting around the town. And all of a sudden, uh, these two young men come running in. And they say, you've got to hear what's happened out on the hillside. And they say, well, sit down and tell us about what has happened on the hillside. And they say, well, you know that maniac? You know that man that's so wild? You know that man that's possessed of a devil? You know that man that cries and cuts himself and lives naked in the tombs? You know that one that the whole town said was hopeless and helpless? You know that one that we just left alone because we didn't want to keep wasting our chains and handcuffs on him? You know that man out there? And you'd say, sure, I know him. They'd say, you ought to see him now. This man came across troubled waters, lifted his hand and calmed a troubled sea, stepped off onto the shore, looked at this devil-possessed man that we've tried and tried and tried and tried to save, and he looked at him and just with a few words changed his life. 
He might go and he might say, you know that man that it says in verse 5 that no man could tame him? Let me tell you about a man that conquered him. A man that no one, and by the way, that always bothers me. You know, I said it when I was a teenager, and teenagers still say it today. Hey, friend, as long as time goes on, teenagers are always going to say, you can't tell me what to do. I said it, every teenager says it. But it bothers me when I hear young people say that. You know why? Because that's, that's Gadara language. That's maniac language. I mean, that's what the maniac of Gadara said. He said, no one's going to tell me what to do. You may remember a time in your life when no one can tell you what to do. You lived your own way. You did things your own way. And you thought you was happy living that way. Until you realized what a mess you spiraled yourself into. Until you realize that your way was the wrong way. Now, you see, man doesn't immediately think his way is the wrong way. In fact, the Bible says there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. It does not say there's a way that seemeth wrong unto a man, but a man convinces himself that it's right anyway thereof, and the ways thereof are the ways of death. The end thereof is the way of death. It says that it seems right. And I'm sure this maniac, there was a time when his way seemed right to him. He said, no one's going to tell me what to do. Well, that all sounded good until Jesus stepped off the boat. And then he met a man that could tell him what to do. Can I tell you, listen today, you may say no one can tell me what to do. But the Bible says in Philippians chapter number 2, there's coming a day when every knee shall bow. When you're talking about Jesus Christ, you're talking about a man that can tell you what to do. Now, he may not force your hand, and he gives you free will choice. And thank God that he doesn't want a bunch of robots. He wants free will agents that love him, that care about him. But I'm here to tell you that you can bend the knee now or you can bend the knee later, but one day he'll be conqueror of all in this world. He would have said, you know that man that nobody could conquer? Well, guess what? He conquered him. He might have said, you know that man that had them devils inside of him that was filthy, that was rotten? He lived among the tombs. He never bathed. He never cleaned himself. He cut himself. He's covered in blood and in filth and in dirt. Do you know that man? Let me tell you about a man. Not only did he conquer him, he consecrated him. He spoke a few words and cast them devils right out of him. You know what we might say today? Let me tell you about a man. I used to be filthy in sin. Filthy in wickedness. Filthy in unrighteousness. And I may have been a, a whited sepulcher, and I may have looked washed and beautiful on the outside, but inside was nothing but dead men's bones. I was on my way to a devil's hell. I was hopeless in this world. But let me tell you about a man that spoke to me and changed me. Consecrated me. He took away things that I couldn't give away. He gave me things that I couldn't take away. He did things in my life that I could never do. He changed me. You might say, well, he consecrated that fella. They might say, you know that man out there who's always in torment. That's what the Bible says, who's in torment night and day. No peace, no rest. No solace in his soul. They might say, you know, he not only conquered him and consecrated him, but he comforted him. That man that used to cry night and day. You could imagine what it would have been like to live in Gadara. You tuck your little babies in at night. You put them in bed. You pull the blanket up over them. And all of a sudden, out in the distance, like a lonely train whistle, you hear a man, Oh! Oh! Why is my life this way? Why am I so tormented? Oh! Why does no one love me? Maybe you remember what it was like. You may not scream aloud with your vocal cords, but you used to lay in bed and think to yourself, why is my life the way it is? Why am I so unhappy? Why am I tormented? Why can I find no peace? Why are the heathen always raging and I'm raging along with them? Why am I angry? Why can I find no peace in my soul? 
But then when Jesus came along, he comforted you. He gave you a peace which passeth all understanding. Gave you a peace that the world can't shake and the world can't take. They might have said, you remember that man, he comforted him. They might have said, you remember that man, he used to run around naked. He, listen, he was an act. You know that nothing's changed from this day till then. It's just the majority of society is running around naked out there instead of it just being one loner out there. You say, I don't believe that. Well, it's about to hit summertime. Go walk around the shops. Go walk around the, the, the Gatlinburg. You'll find out that it's true. Living like the world. And listen, it's permeating the churches. This, this come as you are or leave as you came mess, that, that's straight out of hell. I, mean, I believe, listen, I, I'm thankful that Christ receiveth sinful men. And, and listen, the day that we start turning people away because they don't look the look or act uh, the way that we expect them to if they're lost without Christ is the day we ought to padlock the doors. But I believe in a Christ that not only saves men, I believe in a Christ that changes men. They might have said, hey, you know that man, he was naked and running around out in the tombs and he had no peace. You know that now Jesus, ever since he met Jesus, he put some clothes on. You say, what are you getting at, preacher? Are you preaching on dress standards? No, I'm not preaching on dress standards. What I'm saying is this, the inward change produced an outward change. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying he didn't look like he used to look. He didn't act like he used to act. The Bible says that whenever they came back, you know where they saw him? clothed and sitting at the feet of Jesus in his right mind. I mean, that's the kind of change Jesus can make. That's what Christ can do. But I see this man too. You know why people wander? They wander because they have no destination. He was wandering around in these tombs. Very likely at one time this man had had a family. He couldn't go home anymore. Very likely this man had probably at one time, if he had lived this long uh, during this part of the world, during this time in history, there had to have been a time when he worked and provided for himself. And no doubt this man had once been a man that thought he had purpose. Do you remember when you was lost and undone and you thought you had purpose? And you thought, well, you know, making the next paycheck, buying the next toy, buying the bigger home, buying the nicer car, that's what you live for. That's what... Isn't it sad that there's a lot of Christians still living that way? But you remember when you was lost and you thought you had purpose. You remember when God, through His sovereignty, jerked the rug out from under you. And you realized that you didn't have any purpose. You remember the day when the paycheck wasn't big enough anymore? When the house wasn't big enough anymore? When the car wasn't nice enough anymore? You remember the day when the friends weren't good enough anymore? And you realized I have no purpose in my life. That's what happened to this maniac. Say, I can't go home. I got no purpose. I got no one to provide for. But you know what we find at the end of this passage? And I'm not even preaching yet. You know what we find in the end of this passage? Whenever Jesus comes back to the boat, there sits that man. He had beat him back to the boat. And whenever Jesus gets there and he looks at this man, you know what this man says? This man says, take me wherever you're going. I'm living for you. Jesus looks at him. You know what he says? He says, go home and tell thy friends what great things the Lord hath done on thee and hath had compassion on thee. Hey, not only did he conquer him, consecrate him, clothe him, comfort him, we see he commissioned him. He gave him a purpose. He gave him a reason to live. He gave him a work to do. Do you know if you've been saved, you've been commissioned in the work of God? 
Oh, you may never be in full-time ministry. You may never be a missionary. You may never be a preacher or a pastor. And God may have that for your life. But if He doesn't, do you know that each and every one of us are still called to go and to preach the gospel to every creature? We have a purpose in our lives as believers. We're not just wandering around out here, or at least we ought not to be. When we go outside our door, we ought not just see a bunch of people in a bunch of cars that need to get out of our way. We ought to see a lost and a dying world in need of Christ. Hey, they got a sickness, and friend, Christ has given us the cure. They've got a need, and Christ has given us to meet it and to supply it. They've got a hole in their soul, and we know what will fill it, and we're able to reach them. God's commissioned you and I. We see the spiritual power. That was displayed. But let's say a word about these suicidal pigs that died, Brother Ralph. I wasn't trying to be cute when I wrote that down, but that's really the only way I can describe it. Isn't it unusual what happened with these pigs? Isn't it unusual that they were right there? Isn't it interesting the proximity between the psychotic man and the swine? Of all the hillsides, it was by the tombs that both the psychotic man and the swine happened to be found. And I want to notice a few things about this, these pigs. I want to notice first off, and listen to what it says in Leviticus chapter number 11. Now some of you are saying, well, what, what can I be reading in Leviticus that would help me? Well, listen to what the Bible says in Leviticus 11, 7 and 8. God's giving His law through the book of Leviticus concerning what is clean and what is unclean for the children of Israel to handle, to eat, to have a part of. And listen to what he says. He says, And the swine, though he divide the hoof and be cloven-footed, yet he cheweth not the cud, he is unclean to you. Of their flesh shall ye not eat, and their carcass shall ye not touch. They are unclean to you. Now, that's what God said about pigs. Can I say glory, hallelujah, for grace and bacon this morning? Amen? I'm not saying it's wrong to to eat pigs or pork or sausage or bacon. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that today. We're under grace. But what I want you to recognize this morning in this passage is that these pigs, number one, were intrinsically sinful to these Gadarenes. These pigs had no place being in their country. These pigs had no business even being here. In other words, these pigs were an affront to God that had no place in their life. Do you know that all of us, we have things in our life that are affronts to God, that have no business there. You know what we call them? We call them sin. Things that God has dictated in His Word that they're wrong to do. But we allow it into our life. And you know what we do? We do just like these gatherings. We nurture it. You know, I'm guessing there was 2,000 pigs here. I'm guessing they probably didn't start out with 2,000. They started out probably with two or three, if I had to guess, maybe ten or twelve. The funny thing about swine, Brother Ralph, is if you keep them long enough, they'll multiply. Funny thing about sin, friends, you keep it in your life long enough, it'll multiply. There'll be more and more and more and more. And we find that there's things in our life that they're just flat out wrong. Uh, they're not kind of wrong, and they're not just wrong to you or just wrong to me. They're entirely wrong, and they're wrong because the Word of God says they're wrong. They're wrong for you like they're wrong for me. Listen, I, I believe there's certain things that God deals with us about, and I believe there's certain convictions that some people hold uh, that others don't, and God's dealt with them about certain things that He hadn't dealt with other people about. Uh, but then there's what we call sin. 
Sin's wrong no matter who you are. Sin is sin. You say, how do we know what sin is? God's Word tells us what sin is. God's Word maps out, details what sin is. And some of us, we've got some swine in our lives. We see they were intrinsically sinful. wonder why they kept them then. I would say not only were they intrinsically sinful, but I would say they were an income source for them. You don't raise pigs because they're pretty. Amen? You don't raise them because they make good pets or smell nice. You don't raise them for their fur. You raise them to eat. Now, maybe this is being presumptuous, but I would imagine there was not a huge market for pigs in Jerusalem. I could be wrong about that, but I think that's a safe assumption. That's not to say there were not some Israelites that were eating pigs. Obviously, there were. But most likely, they were raising these pigs so that they could make a profit off of them. They said, we're not partaking in it. We're just profiting off of it. Can I say to you that there's a lot of sin in our lives that we don't want to get rid of? Listen, because we don't think we can live without it. It's moved past the place of indulging our flesh. You see, if they had been eating the pigs, they might have thought, well, we like the pigs, we like the pork, we want to eat it. It's good to us and good for us. We're indulging our flesh. But it went beyond that. We assume they were selling these pigs. It was their livelihood. And they probably said, oh, it's not that I like it. It's that I can't live without it. You know, there's some sins in our life that we've convinced ourselves we can't do without it. We can't live without it. There's some, or let me go the opposite way. There's some sins in our life, sins of omission. Things we should be doing that we're not doing. And it's not that we've convinced ourselves that we uh, can't live without it. It's that we've convinced ourselves we can live without it. Things that we should be doing that we're not doing. And we've convinced ourselves that we can't do it. We can't do that. Can't be faithful. Can't pray. Can't read our Bible. Can't do these things. Or maybe there's sins of commission. We can't get rid of this. Can't get rid of that. And we've convinced ourselves that we have to have it. We see that they were income sources, but I want to notice that they were ideal for spirits. Christ did not suggest the swine. This is important. Listen, Christ did not suggest the swine. The devils suggested the swine. The devils said, if we're going to go someplace... That's where we want to go. You know what the devil does to your life when he sees your sin that you're harboring, nourishing, raising up? He says, if I'm going to get a, if I'm going to get a foot in their life, that's where I'm going to have to go. If I'm going to get into their, if I'm going to wreck their life, that's where I'm going to have to go. You know what sin does? You know, Paul said, to give no place to the devil. Give no place the devil. He, he, he says to us uh, that we are not to give any occasion to the flesh. Paul says to us uh, that we are not to be ignorant of his devices and that we are to stand against the wiles of the devil. Where do you think that place is that Satan's looking for in our lives? Give no place to the devil. That place is that foothold that he can get when he gets sin in your life. You know what he does? You get sin in your life and he comes along and he says, well, you've messed up anyway. You might as well keep on living this way. Or you get sin in your life. Maybe it's an outward sin that you're ashamed of and he comes to you and he says, you can't get rid of this because if you do, you'll have to admit that you've been doing it. Or maybe it's something that you should be doing in your life that you're not doing. And Satan comes along and says, well, you've lived this long without it. 
why start now? You see, those sins in our life, they become the footholds for Satan to destroy us. We see not only that they were ideal for spirits, we see that they were immediately suicidal. Now, when, I, when I'm talking about suicide, I'm not talking to you today about depression or about suicide of a person. What I'm saying is this. You know the first thing they did when they got in the pigs? They destroyed. They destroyed. The first thing they did when they got in the pigs... He's all right. He's mine. I'll whip him later. <laughs> first thing that happened when they got in the pigs was they started destroying. You know what sin does when it gets into your life? First thing it does is start eating away at you destroying you. You say, it don't feel that way. No, it don't feel that way because you're still blinded to what it's doing. It don't feel that way because if it hurt from day one, sin could never get a hold in you. That's why it's pleasurable for a season. We see the suicidal pigs. But I want you to notice the sad plea that they declared. So these men go running back. And the first thing that we see is the forewarning that they received. Now stop and think about this. If you're going to listen to someone about what happened, would you want to be listening to the maniac or would you want to be listening to the pig farmers? I'm going to say it again because I want this to be slow and to stick. If you're going to listen to someone about the Savior, are you going to want to listen to the maniac that's been changed and redeemed? Or are you going to want to listen to the pig farmers that have just lost their herd of pigs? Let me tell you why we're so scared of Jesus Christ today. We're so scared of Jesus Christ because we spend all our time listening to lost folks and carnal Christians about Him. We're so scared of God working in our life. Do you know why? We've been listening to the devil about Him. These pig farmers come back, and you know what it says? It says they told Him what had happened to the man, and it doesn't stop there. It says, and also about the swine. That ought to tell you something about them. You know, if it was me, I hope this is true. It may not be. I may be worse than them. But I, I would hope that me or you, if we had seen this happen, I mean, if we had seen God work in this mighty of a way, you know what we would have done? We would have come back and we would have said, Oh, you've got to hear about what Jesus did. You know what these people did? They said, Oh, you've got to hear about what Jesus did. But let me tell you, He ruined our herd of swine. Let me tell you something. You know what part of the problem is? You know why we're losing our young people? Because we look at Bible Christianity and treat it as fanaticism because it's separate from this world. Let me tell you something. If you spend all your time listening to those that claimed that Bible Christianity ruined their life, you're never going to learn anything about Jesus Christ. You, you know the problem? We look at it. Listen, we look at it. And when our kids get backslid, when our kids get backslid and start complaining about Bible Christianity, we look at it and we don't look at all the good that God's done in their life. We listen to them gripe and complain because they've got to dress different or act different. We, we listen to them complaining, uh, complaining about the swine rather than talking about what the Savior's done. You know, some of our young people, they're scared to go whole hog, no pun intended, in for Jesus Christ. They're scared to because they're afraid they're going to have to give up the way they dress. And you know what? Some of them probably would. They don't want to give up the friends that they've got. They don't want to give up the music that they've got. They're afraid of losing their swine. And so they won't give in to the Savior. Some of you as adults say, how do you know that, preacher? Because you're flesh and bone like I am. Some of you as adults, you know what God expects of you. But you're scared to give up the swine. 
You know what God expects out of you. But you're scared. You're scared Jesus is going to take more than you want to give Him. And you feel that way because you think some of it belongs to you. When the truth is, if you draw a breath in the morning, that's a gift from God on high. I mean, listen, if you, if you walked out of your car today, it's, that's a gift from God on high. If, you, if your arms work, if your legs work, if your mind works, if you're alive today, that's a gift from God. We think it belongs to us, so we get territorial over it when Jesus wants control of our life. And some of you, you're never going to see God work because you're too addicted to the swine. You've got sin in your life and you won't give it up and you're afraid to give it up because you're afraid you might lose them. You don't understand that the greatest day in your life will be the day that you turn yourself entirely over to Jesus Christ and give Him all of you. We see their forewarning, but we see their fearfulness. That's what it says. It says after they heard this, they were afraid. Afraid. Who would be afraid of Jesus? I'll tell you who, pig farmers. And some of you, I mean, some of you are giggling. I know it's funny, but listen, there's a truth there. Who is it that's afraid of Jesus? Pig farmers. Who is it that's so afraid of Jesus? Carnal Christians. That's who. You know that carnal Christians are more militant against... Listen, carnal Christians are more militant against holiness than atheists are. Carnal Christians have made it their, uh, their absolute uh, motto and anthem and purpose and calling in life to make church as carnal as possible to allow. You see, <laughs> you don't have to keep the place clean when it's just going to be a pigsty anyway. You don't have to keep the church house holy when it's just going to be a pigsty anyway. We've got a lot of churches that are nothing but pigsties today with a lot of lost folk in them that are parading as Christians, and a lot of carnal Christians that are parading as being holy. When the fact of the matter is, if God ever laid His hand against those swine in their life, they'd cut out of here quicker than you'd ever imagine. Afraid of Him. Pig farmers are afraid of Him. Carnal Christians are afraid of Jesus Christ. We see not only their fearfulness, but we see their finances. Why were they afraid? They didn't want to lose their money. They didn't want to lose their money. Listen, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a money preacher. You can tell looking at me, I'm not a money preacher. And, and you know, I, maybe, I don't know, I may talk about it more than some, I may talk about it less than some, I have no idea because I don't know who some are and I'm not paying attention to them. But let me tell you something, it makes me a little bit nervous when people start getting nervous about their wallets. We all need money to live, money's precious to all of us, more precious than it ought to be, I recognize that. But listen to me, it always bothers me when people get cross when we start talking about giving. Because that tells me how highly they value their money. That they believe that God has no right to it. I'm not telling you you ought to give today. And listen, I'm not even talking about monetary giving. But if I tell you your gift, I'm not telling you that so you can plant a seed that's going to bloom and grow into some kind of blessing later. I'm telling you that because God owns everything that you have and everything you'll ever have. It belongs to Him. It's never belonged to you. It never will belong to you. Uh, this thing of uh, biblical giving is not about ownership. It's about stewardship. It's about it belonging to Him and going back to Him. They didn't want to get right with God because they didn't want to get rid of their cash cow. Pig, horse, whatever it was. They didn't want to get rid of that. They thought it was too dear to them. They thought it was going to cost them something to serve Jesus. Let me tell you something. It'll cost you everything you've got to serve Jesus Christ. But you'll find that you'll gain everything that you could ever imagine. A famous missionary, I want to say it was uh, one of the Elliots, but I can't remember exactly, but said that no man... No man can lose by giving up that which he does not have 
uh, or by giving up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he can never lose. You're never losing by giving up that which you cannot keep to gain that which you can never lose. And listen to me. You go, you go in for Jesus Christ. You put all in for Him. You'll not regret it a single day of your life. Not one. That's why the carnal Christians are the ones that complain. See, they've never given themselves over to Jesus Christ. It's not that God's done them so wrong. That's not why they live the way they do. It's not, listen, they don't, they don't live like the world and act like the world because God did them wrong. They live like the world and act like the world because they've never given God a chance. You'd be fine. You'd find that He's nothing to be scared of. And finally, we see their foolishness in verse 17. They began to pray Him to depart. So we don't want you around here. You're going to get rid of all of our swine. We don't want you around here. I don't know how to give this statement the soberness that it deserves. But I fear that the greatest tragedy happening in churches today is people inviting Jesus Christ to walk out their doors. You know why a lot of churches are dead churches? Because they've kicked out the Prince of Life. You know, in Revelation chapter number 3 in the Laodicean period, you know that in, 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 you know in chapter number 2, when it deals with, I believe it's chapter 2, when it deals with the church at Ephesus, maybe the tail end of chapter 1, but I believe it's chapter 2. When it deals with Ephesus, you know what it says? Before it ever deals with any of the churches, it speaks of Christ being the one that walks in the midst of the golden candlesticks. You know, that's where Christ belongs, is in the midst. Every time He does a work, He's always found in the midst of things. But you come down to the Laodicean church, you know where we see Jesus Christ? He's on the outside. Hold, if any man, open unto me. He's knocking to get into a locked church building. I'm afraid. I'm not afraid of Jesus Christ. I'm afraid of my swine. I'm afraid of my sin. I ought to fear it more than I do fear it. I ought to hate it more than I do hate it. I fear, and, I, and I'm, listen, I'm not trying to be an alarmist, and I'm not trying to be melodramatic, and I'm not to, uh, trying to imply there's something you don't know about. But listen to me this morning. I fear for our church. Some of you are saying, we've got a good church. Yeah, we've got a good church. We've got a loving church. But I'd say that our church is like most. There's probably some swine. How much of God do we really want today? How much of them do we really, really want we're faced with this choice, just like they were faced with this choice. Are we so protective of our sin that we tell Jesus to just leave? Call it preventive medicine if you want. Maybe the Holy Spirit knows where it needs to be, but I'm trying to mind Him today. And I'm trying to tell you that we better make the right decision. We better make the right decision in this. Because if we don't, you know what Jesus Christ will do? He's never an unwanted guest. Hear me? He's never an unwanted guest. If we tell Christ we ain't got enough time for Him, He'll walk right out that door. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. You know me well enough to know that I don't believe you can lose your salvation. I believe in the eternal security of the believer. But I also believe that there is a sense in which we can lose His power in our lives. There is a sense in which we can lose His presence. He'll always abide with us. He'll never forsake us. But there's a sense in which Christ cannot be welcome in our church. You tell Him you ain't got time for Him, He'll say, okay. 
Or if you look at him and say, I'd rather have my sin than the Savior. He'll say, all right. All right. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You're not going to lose your salvation. But you're not going to have the fellowship with him. You're not going to have the fellowship with him. You're not going to have the power of God. He won't be able to do in your Gadara what he's done in other cities.